to the show. Yes, this is the Suicide Prevention Show, and we are waking up the world. We are having the talks that make a difference. So without any doubt, this is something I have looked forward to, and I am incredibly happy to be sharing with you. What would your life be like if you took off the limits, if you dared to dream audaciously, to serve generously, and to grow purposefully. To guide us on that journey is none other than Tim Dumas. So Tim, would you please join me in the studio? Let's get this party started. Hey Jackie, it's uh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Look at you. You know, you've got good lighting. You're just all hooked in and you look wide awake. I'm very impressed. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 eight o'clock on the West Coast. It's uh it's it's the middle of the morning now. Ah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> so Tim, this whole process that you're gonna take us through on this journey, I know that when we spoke, you shared just a little bit about how this all came about for you. Before you walk us through the pieces and the parts and the 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 elegance of what you created. For us, what, where did this start for you? <laughs> it started in my first uh, day of, of official leadership, I guess. I got a job managing a restaurant just out of, I was, I was about a year out of college at that time. And I walked into my first leadership meeting, ready to inspire all the people around me. And we sat down at that boardroom table and I, I was ready. I gave them my best Vince Lombardi speech that they've ever heard. And do you know what the answer back to me was? Mm. It was this. <laughs> they looked at me with dumbfounded looks. And basically all they said to me was, why? Why should I follow you? See, I didn't understand at that time, number one, how to lead. But before I actually, you know, tell them the way, I got to show the way. And they had just met me. And you know what's really ironic about college and what's really ironic about high school and even elementary school is that we teach so many amazing things, but we often don't teach people how to lead and how to live. And throughout all of my however many years, 15, 16, whatever many years of, of schooling that I had, very few teachers spoke to me or even taught me how to lead and live. Mm. Okay, well, there you go. Now that's an interesting point. So you got your first job in leadership with no leadership training to back it up. Yeah, well, and you're right about that. It's with it, there are exceptions. There are some colleges and some schools that do a really good job on the leadership side. But it's not mass education. Mass education wasn't designed for that. And to push that onto our education system, I think it's unfair because our education system is designed for a very specific purpose. But where else can leadership be learned? Tim, where did you end up learning leadership? Well, it's learned it every day. I, I was, I was, I saw on social media just the other day this question that really almost infuriated me. It said, is leadership a nine to five thing? And I was so infuriated. I said, I can't even believe you're asking that question. Leadership is an everyday thing. It is in every moment of one's life, right? Because leadership has nothing to do with one's position. It has everything to do with how one acts and who one is. It has nothing to do with the position. We all know people that are in positions of leadership that are not good leaders at all. And there are people in positions of leadership that are great leaders, but there are also these people that are in a position that you wouldn't consider a position of leadership that do an amazing job. And one of the first people I remember back to my days in elementary school was a woman named Mrs. Perusing. And she only came back into my psyche in the last few years because at my elementary school, St. Patrick's Elementary School in Victoria, British Columbia, there was a leader at that school and it wasn't the principal, even wasn't a teacher. 
It was the janitor because she knew she could make a difference in every person's life around them. She knew when she cleaned up after some kid who was sick in the hallway, she wasn't cleaning up after that kid first. She was taking care of that kid first. She was taking the kid to the nurse's room. She was calling the kid's parents. Every person in that school knew that they were loved by Mrs. Prusy because of the way she looked at them, by the way she interacted with every person that walked by them. My brother on the school ground one day broke his collarbone. This Mrs. Peruzzi picked up my brother. He was like grade two at the time, so seven or eight years old. She picks him up. She was like five feet tall. She was barely hundred pounds. She walks a few blocks to, luckily the hospital was close by, to the hospital and stayed with him till then. That wasn't in her job description, but she knew that she was a leader. And she influenced so many people around them. And, you know, a lot of people might ask, well, how do, what does this have to do with the suicide prevention show? Well, <laughs> you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really know. But one thing I do know is she influenced so many people. She connected with so many people. I don't know if she saved anyone from mental health issues or, or, um, or suicide. But what I do know is she enhanced the lives of people. And that will go a long way to doing that. Well, you brought up so many things in there. We've got a lot to unpack for everybody. So I'm going to tackle the last one first, if you don't mind. There's not a connection between suicide and mental diagnosis, mental health, uh, mental illness diagnosis in my world. In my world, they are two separate things. Why? Because on the surface, it's easy for me to say, the act of taking your own life is by and large, for the most part, assumed that you're not sane in that second, but we're only talking that second. And so you could have been perfectly sane right up until that second. And there's a time where perhaps it is sane to take your own life. The cultural connection context makes a big difference. There are cultures where falling on your sword, taking your own life is very noble. There are extreme circumstances. The people who jumped from windows and the towers before the towers fell on 9-11 took their own lives. They chose their own ending, if you will. Were they sane in the moment? You know, was that a mental health issue? I wouldn't think so. So that's why these are not the same thing because it's always context required. But you also brought up this idea of how is this all connected with suicide prevention? And Tim, that question is the one that sparks me the most because everything that makes someone's life better is prevention of suicide by definition. Pure prevention is what we focus on at the Teen Suicide Prevention Society because anything that makes your life better, by definition, backs you away from the edge. Leadership is the skill. Self-leadership is one of the skills that we work on in the Emotional Resilience Mastery Program because when you have self-leadership, you, what, you're going to lead yourself to the ledge? I don't think so. No. So anyway, so take us there. Self-leadership, is that where we need to go as a culture? <laughs> well, the great quote about self-leadership is, uh, is John Maxwell always says, he says, do you know the most difficult person in the world to lead? Mm. <laughs> and it's, it's ourselves, right? Um, because th there's so many ways we can, we can lead others, but when we lead ourselves, we actually have to do it. There's a great story about the, um, the three frogs who were sitting on a log and that all three frogs decided to jump off. So what's the answer? How many frogs actually jump it off? The answer is, I don't know, because deciding to do it and actually doing it are two different things. And that's what self-leadership is for ourselves, deciding to do it and actually taking that leap of faith to jump off and do it are two different things. And, and certainly one of the best ways to describe leadership is, is certainly to understand what leadership is and what the definition is. And after I left that um, that meeting that first day in, in that restaurant when I was the when I was the leader the manager of the restaurant 
I went on a journey to try to figure out what's the definition of leadership. Do you know what the insanity of leadership is? If you go to the dictionary, I'm a kid of the, you know, of the eighties and in kids of the eighties, your mom said, if you don't know the definition of something, look in the dictionary, the definition of leadership is the act of leading. I would have failed high school English if I defined a word by the root of its word. So we all know what it means. And there's so many words in our language. We know what they mean, but we really struggle to define them. Do we know what this means? I mean, come on, really? What definition did you end up coming up with for leadership? And so I, I researched some of the greatest leaders in, uh, in, in, in history, really. And it wasn't until I met a gentleman named Alex Havard, who uh, wrote a book called Virtuous Leadership. And he defined leadership as magnanimity. And, de and he defines magnanimity as this. Magnanimity is the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. And that's the greatest definition of leadership I've ever heard. I've heard many ones, but none that put together your outward look of, of helping others get to greatness and the inward of the spirit of striving for greatness. So the true definition of leadership that I see is striving for greatness personally. And to do that, we need to bring out the greatness in others. Okay, wait a minute. Now you just tag two things together and I'm going, striving for leadership, we striving for greatness in ourselves. And you, then you said, we do that by... By bringing out the greatness in others. By bringing out the greatness in others. Okay. Every parent wants to bring out the greatness in their children. There's not been a good instruction manual for the how to do that, that I was able to find raising kids. So how do you bring out the greatness in others? <laughs> and that's a great thing about not only leadership, but so many things in life. There's not an instruction manual. People say, you know, in, in business, what's the instruction manual to be successful in business? What's the instruction manual to be, have a successful marriage, oh, yeah. be a successful we parent? Right. We all suffer from mad how disease. We want to know the how. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll challenge, um, challenge and encourage you and, and all others to understand that the answer is actually inside of you. We have that in us and it's different for every person. If I were to give you um, my experience as a parent, that might help you to be a better parent and your experience as a parent to me, that would certainly help me. However, because we're all born so different with different temperaments, it's a little bit different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So me being the perfect version of myself as a parent will look much different from you and we could be equally as good. So really there's no manual, but the manual is asking other people, their experiences, taking that into ourselves and figure out how based on our personality, we can best utilize that. Okay. So you're really up into concepts and my students would say, Jackie, are you going to push him to make it a cup? So I'm going to cup in my world stands for concrete, universal, and picturable. So let's take this concept of leadership and turn it into some really tangible experiences that people can take away because the promise of this session on audacity is something that I really want to get into. I'm going to be really bold and audacious with you and say, okay, let's bring this down and get it good and grounded for everybody, Tim. What did you do with all of the study and the um, mentorship that you started going into? And what impact did that have? What was the observable phenomenon? Uh, the observable phenomenon is, and when we talk about dream audaciously, so we, we talked about the beginning of this session. Uh, there's three things in great leadership, dreaming audaciously, serving generously, and growing purposefully. But if we look at the first one, dreaming audaciously, and how we cup it or how we actually put it into action, it can be simply by asking how many people around you have you, do you know their personal dreams? Have you asked them what their dreams are and how you can support? So it's by simply asking this question and I put into practice both in my business life and also my professional life, but people in business, um, they know that when I talk to them, we often talk about their dreams and I'll ask this question. If I told you, you couldn't fail, what dream would you achieve? 
And when we talk about that, and we talk about that personally, people often talk about personal dreams, but do you know a problem in the business world is we do goal setting with our people in the business world, but we rarely talk about their personal lives. It's kind of taboo. They're like, oh, don't ask about personal life. That's getting too personal. Well, <laughs> if, if, if we actually take what their goals are personally to, 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 to buy a house, to buy a new car, to, to get to this place, to, to, in their relationships, et cetera. When we actually take that and we meld that into our dreams of our company, that's when magic happens. And that's when true greatness happens both in companies and in people personally. So the actionable is to champion the dreams of those around you. Cool. I'm gonna pull you down a little layer, one more layer. What does it actually look like to, quote, champion the dream of someone else? Well, first is to ask the question, right? Because often we think about, you know, what's my first action step? Well, it's simple. Just ask. But Mm -hmm. sometimes that's the most difficult uh, thing to ask. And so uh, I'll give you an example of... um, of someone who I was able, luckily enough, to champion the dream of, and we'll call her Rhonda. So I'm sitting in what we call in our company dream sessions. I'm sitting in a dream session with Rhonda. I said, I asked her that question, Rhonda, what's one of the biggest, boldest, audacious dreams you've ever thought of? She said, Tim, my car is kind of a beater. I have trouble getting around. It breaks down. It's a huge dream of mine to have a new car, but I don't think I could ever have a new car. I never thought my wildest dreams growing up where I did that I've had of a new car and asked her, why not? And she said, well, I don't even know what it takes to get a new car. So simply I asked the question. I said, great. I just want you to prove me wrong and prove you right that you can't get a new car. So call the local dealership. Number one, number two, uh, call the financing office and ask them, say, Tell them your situation, ask them, could I qualify for a new car? Well, guess what happened? Just by asking her to prove her own point right, her limiting belief right, she was able to prove it wrong just by acting upon it. Because in our heads often, we come up with this limiting belief, I'm not good enough for this, I can't do this, but we never actually prove that to ourselves. So by asking her to prove it, she actually proved the opposite. And guess what? I walk into the office not two weeks later, Rhonda greets me with the biggest smile you've ever seen on her face. She says, Tim, Tim, you got to follow me to the parking lot. That's a bit of a strange request, don't you think? So <laughs> I mean, I'm like, hey, Rhonda, I'm going into a meeting soon. You know, she's like, Tim, give me five minutes. I got to take you to the parking lot. So I walk behind her to the parking lot. She's clicking her keys furiously. All of a sudden, this beautiful blue Mazda 3 opens up. She hops in and says, Tim. It's my new car. I never thought in my wildest dreams I would own a new car. And in only two weeks, I own a new car. And that's what Champion One's dreams looks like. That's a great, great story. And Tim, I love it because this whole concept of prove me wrong, prove your limiting belief right, is so in tune with what we've discovered in our work and research with the suicide prevention movement is that if you go to the negative, you can always find the opposite. I mean, it's just always true, but we're so afraid of going to the negative. I love the fact that that was audacious to just dive right into, prove me wrong. I love it. Ah, cool. All right, so that was like an awesome story. Perfect. All right, so what's next on our journey? Because now I understand how to champion someone else's dream. Does it work for championing your own dream? Well, in, in, in one word, yes. However, the <laughs> champion, however, yeah. However, however, which means ignore what I just said. It comes <laughs> the truth. So you can always ask yourself those questions, but because inherently we're built in with some limiting beliefs, number one, and number two, our culture often states that to us when we're young, right? And one of the, horrible atrocities in our world and in our culture is that we begin to squash the dreams of our children at a very young age. We think about this, like think about our kids playing sports. 
there's a certain age where they're five, six, seven, eight years old, where we celebrate them. We celebrate, you know, you can play football and play in the NFL, play basketball. Maybe one day you'll be in the NBA. But there's a certain time around that age where they start to become teenagers. We say, it's your goal to be in the NBA. That's silly. You have no chance at that. And we forget that we are absolutely squashing their, not only that dream, but their ability to dream, period. So when we get kids into college, when we get our people first out into the workforce, they've forgotten how to dream. They've forgotten what it takes. And we have to relearn that. I talked to a great uh, coach just the other day. He said, Tim, I was working with a, with a hockey team of you know kids 16, 17, 18, kids that had chance to go pro. And their coach had told them, forget about going pro, just worry about this. He said, I had to reteach them how to dream because not only were they not dreaming about going pro, they weren't dreaming about other things in their lives. And how this comes back to how we do this personally in our lives is we need to surround ourselves with great people that will support us and will champion our dreams because I don't know anyone that's ever done it alone. There's no such thing as a self-made man or self-made woman, right? They, we come to that point because of the great people around us and the great people we surround ourselves with. So if you are not surrounding yourself with those people, what do you do? Surround yourself with those people. If you don't know those people, go meet them. Or go to the library and check out books that they've written. I mean, you can really start for free and simple, especially online. Because that's how I started, was I surrounded myself with well-written books. Yeah. Well, so, certainly, cool. certainly with their books and also with just talking to them. You would not believe how many people by just asking yeah. will speak to you. Uh, I'll give you a quick story about, there's a gentleman in San Diego named Steve Farry. He founded the Extreme Leadership Institute. He's written multiple books. His recent one is Love is Just Damn Good Business. And <laughs> I, you'll love it. He, yeah, it's an it's outstanding book. Now, I would have thought this to be audacious before, but I went onto his website. I sent him an email and said, Steve, I'd love to chat with you. And guess what happened? He sent an email back. He said, Tim, let's do it. So I'm talking to a person who I would have initially thought probably wouldn't have the time of day for me. However, just by asking, I now consider Steve Farber, a mentor and friend, one of the greatest leaders in North American culture, just by asking. And there might be people that say no, certainly. But if you ask enough people, mm -hmm. you'll find a game changer. You'll find multiple game changers to say yes. This is absolutely true. I love that dreaming audaciously includes asking questions that we used to think would have been audacious, but we can reframe those to be, this is just asking. Yeah, just asking, just talking. I love where this is going. Okay, dreaming audaciously. I'm good with that. People can put questions into the chat if they want more on dreaming audaciously. Let's take the next step. Where are we going sure. So the second step is serving generously. And really that just dovetails of dreaming audaciously. Once we have in our mindset that we'll dream audaciously, it really is that second part of the definition of leadership or definition of magnanimity by bringing out the greatness in others. How, how great is it if we only bring out the greatness in ourselves and you know on our deathbed one day when they're getting ready to you know write our eulogy or to write on our tombstone, they'll be like, that guy, Tim, he brought out the greatness in himself, but not really in anyone else. <laughs> but there'll be no not the, uh, the uh, way we want to be remembered. There'll be no one at my funeral, right? How, 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 how sad would that be? But when we think about serving generously, we look at bringing out the greatness in, in others. And that's really what serving generously is, being generous over the time. Steve Farber called me uh, just by being generous with his time. And there's so many other people that are willing to be generous with their time and serving generously because then in turn, uh, they, ex they know you will serve generously to somebody uh, next to you. And, you know, I thought about this and how it relates to what we're talking about today. And there, 
when we serve generously, we create connections with others. And we know that we have a, a greater purpose, something greater than ourselves, a greater purpose for the other people around us. And as I told people I was coming on this suicide prevention show, I was astounded by the number of great business leaders that said, oh yeah, Tim, I've struggled with contemplating suicide. And so I asked some of them, I said, how did you get, how did you get through it? Or how did you, how did you not go through with it? And in many of those instances, it was because they felt called to serve other people, their spouse, their children, the people they work with. It was their thoughts of other people that brought them back to realizing the purpose in their life. And as we look at the purpose in our lives, do you know what's really uh, sad actually is that almost every business has a mission statement, right? 95, 95% of people don't have one. That's true. All right. I won't argue that at all because I'm going, do I have a mission statement? Um, <laughs> we'll talk so about I'm that later. I'm part of the 95%. I think I got really lucky in that my purpose kind of tapped me on my shoulder on August the 3rd, 2019. Um, yeah, that was my day. For people who are listening, Tim, when did you learn about having a personal mission statement? <laughs> it was it was only about five years ago when we we did this in uh, in a, in our business uh, uh, um, that we we created made sure we created our mission statement and then as I started working with a personal coach one on one he said Tim what's yours and I said I don't know I've never <laughs> oh, thought about that but, but isn't that isn't that so strange that we go through schooling we learn all the great uh, you know about math and science and uh, and literature etc but we never talk about what our mission statement is. And our mission statement, sometimes, you know, when you're young, you might say, well, I don't know yet, but it can change over time. It can evolve as we, as we grow. But what's the one thing that we're going to put into action? And I'll tell you the greatest learning I had when I learned that in the last three or four years is that I had a really tough business decision uh, about, about taking on a new, new business contract. And I, went over it with my business coach. He said, great, Tim, this is exactly why you have personal values and a personal, personal mission. Tell me how this new business opportunity fits with your purpose and your values. And I said, uh, you know what? It, it doesn't really, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't fit with it. And I said, but it, you know, it's, it might be lucrative financially. And he said, okay, great. Just rewrite your mission to put lucrative financially in there. And when we have to write it down, most of us don't want to put that. It seems so obtuse that all we care about is money. And mo almost every person wouldn't do that. So he said to me, he said, Tim, either change your mission statement or that's not the right, that's not the right contract for you. Yeah, and that's really, you're, you're on thin ice here. When we start talking about people's money beliefs, you know, I can't do, you know, I, I, if I'm doing it for the money, does that make it wrong? Well, the answer is it depends. You know, the money is a tool that allows you to do a bunch of other things. And so this is going to be a dicey area for a lot of people to talk about. You know, and when you're at a certain point where your kids are taken care of, you've got a roof over your head, you're financially fairly stable, then... It's not about the money or it is depending on your personal values and your personal mission statement. I love having that as a guiding line. Tim, how long did it take you to evolve your personal mission statement? And would you share it with us? Uh, I'm sharing it with you right now. <laughs> um, so how long did it take? It's a, it's always evolving. It'll probably be evolving till the day that, that I, that I die. My initial mission statement was uh, simply growth through service, those three words. And um, as it evolved over time, over the years, I realized it was missing something, especially to what my passions were. So uh, now my mission statement has evolved into what we're talking about today, dream audaciously, serve generously, and grow purposefully. Ah, sneaky. You <laughs> snuck it in on me. All right, cool. All right, so 
a, a personal mission statement can be just, well, just that simple. What are the things that you're going to use to make a decision with? Because if you take, I'm, I'm looking at this, dream audaciously, serve generously. I missed a word. What's the last? Serve generously and grow purposefully. Grow purposefully. Miss the word grow. Okay. That's a really cool framework for decision-making because it can go check, check, check. Nope. I mean, cool. All right. Neat. So now in serving generously, you talk about serving generously with your time. You know, certainly that's part of what's going on with the Teen Suicide Prevention Society and the Suicide Prevention Show. And what you're doing today by being here is serving generously with your time. How does being on this show help you with some audacious dream? <laughs> well, my audacious dream is to, and especially my audacious dream this, this quarter, is to reach as many people as I possibly can to talk about their, their dreams. So this certainly uh, supports one of my dreams. And one of my other dreams and goals this quarter is to continue to uh, meet one-on-one -on -one and in groups with more of those people. And I know at the end of this session, you'll share my contact information. So I'd love to get in contact with more and more people so we can share this uh, out to the world. Awesome. All right. So we are going through dreaming audaciously and serving generously. Where's the line? Where does, where's the line for you when serving generously hits this enabling codependent point because it happens in service. And so we're not going back away from the fact that there is a line there somewhere. Where's that line for you? So the line is, um, you know what? That's interesting because I haven't thought about the line a lot, but I deal with this in a different way probably than one might think, which uh, does not enable uh, the people that are dreaming audaciously, but um, inspires action. When we inspire action of others, it's never about me doing it. If I'm championing the dreams of someone else, I'm not doing it for someone, but I'm holding them accountable and encouraging them to do that. When I told the story about Rhonda, I didn't, I didn't call the uh, car dealership. I didn't call the, uh, the financer. I gave, I gave her the tools to do that and held her accountable. So when I saw her, I said, Rhonda, have you called them yet? And if not, I'd say, hey, you committed to calling them. To me, you made that commitment. And when we tell others our dreams, it inspires action because I don't want to look stupid next time I see you, right? And I don't want to have to say, ah, well, I didn't do it. So when we hold people accountable, and that's really what we haven't got into love yet. But that's really what love is, is holding one accountable. I have a great mentor named Nancy McKay. She's the founder of McKay CEO Forums. And she talks about love all the time. She's a tough business leader. When I first met her, I talked to her many times on the phone and, and on Zoom. I walked up. I was a, it was a breakfast event back when we had breakfast events. I went out to shake her hand. I said, Nancy, it's such a pleasure to meet you. And she looked at me and said, Tim. I don't shake people's hand. I give you hugs. And she gave me this big hug. And I'll never forget that because she talks about love like no one else does. And, you know, there's a great tragedy in, in our society and in, in the English language. We only have one word for love. But C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talked about four of the Greek words. They have multiple words for love. And if I were to say to you in English, I love you, Sometimes you start, you call HR, you're like, hey, Tim uh, just told me he loves me. We got an issue here, right? But if we understood the definitions of four other types of love, eros, storge, philia, agape, when I said to you, I philia love you in a friendship, in an agape way, in a charitable or unconditional love, and I offered that to you, we will change. The world will change organizations and we'll change the way we look at each other. But on that point of love is love is not all about rainbows and puppies. Love is about holding people accountable. Think about one's brother or sister. If they're going down the wrong path, you're going to tell them. You're going to hold them accountable. You're not going to do it for them. Um, and if you're a parent, you're not going to do it for your kids. They got to they gotta pave some of their own way. 
And that is what's how service serving generously avoids becoming a, a codependent relationship. Awesome. This whole point of unconditional love and still holding people accountable, still following up. If you dare to ask them about their dream, championing their dream means following up and checking in. Because holding people accountable has started to get a really negative rap because people don't know how to do it well. So this whole accountability thing has become a thing in some of my circles. And it's really about checking in and following up. Just, have you done it yet? You know, what happened when you did it? The assumption that it's done. What happened when you did it? Well, haven't done it yet. How about now? Yeah, <laughs> how about now? Cool, I love that. All right, so we've got dreaming audaciously, which thank you, because I think everyone could use just a little more audacity in their world. Serving generously and the clarity that you have around, it's not about doing it for them. It is about the tools, the inspiration, the accountability from a place of unconditional love. So not judging them if they haven't gotten around to it, just being there to remind them that they made a promise to themselves. And that's very different than you made a promise to me. You made a promise to yourself. And that, that's how we learn, right? If we forget, like, if, if I just do it for you, or even I, you know, we, you're oh. not going to learn, right? If I said to, you know, if I said to, to Rhonda, great, I'm going to call the car dealership. I'm going to call the financing company. I'm going to set it all up for you. Just give me the money and, and I'll have a car for you. Well, what happens next time when Rhonda needs, needs her next car in 10 years or however long that is? She won't know how to do it. Now, not only does Rhonda know exactly how to purchase a car, she can champion others to do the same thing. And, and that's just one example. There are, you know, millions of audacious dreams that one learns how to do, and then they share it with others. But first we have to learn. That's awesome. I love that. I am very much a teach a person to fish kind of thing rather than give them one. So cool. All right. Dreaming audaciously, serving generously. Now let's talk about growth. I had someone share with me a story, um, really um, annoying man who made a great name for himself being annoying. He's known as the world's uh, best irritational speaker. That's actually his brand. His name is Larry Winget. And he's known what he shared with me, and this is where we're coming into growth. He said, in his experience, humans are the only ones who self-limit, who limit their growth. He says, you've never seen a tree go, hmm, yeah, I'm good. I'm this tall. I don't need to grow anymore. You know, in nature, things grow to the absolute extreme that they can grow in their environment. And yet humans don't. So let's talk about growth and what it really takes to grow purposefully. Um, well, you know, humans don't always be... Uh don't always grow as purposefully like that tree that just doesn't say, well, I'm, I, I'm done. And, and there's a couple of reasons. Number one, um, we have free will and we have an intellect, right? Where, uh, you know, a, a tree or, a, or an animal, it might just act based on instinct, right? Where we actually have to make that decision, right? The D word again. <laughs> and there's one common denominator in my life, and there's one common denominator in your life, Jackie, and in everyone's life. And do you know who that is? That's you. That's me. We're the common denominator. And once we've realized that and realized that we're the common denominator, there's there's a great kind of legend or, or story about the two twin twin brothers. And one of them, uh, you know, grew up to be a successful person. The other one ended up to be completely, you know, the opposite. And they asked that each of the brothers, twin brothers, you were brought up in exactly the same way. One of you became unbelievably successful. One of you was the opposite. Why was that? And they answered exactly the same answer. They said, well, when I was growing up, I had a tough childhood. Our parents weren't good to us. And I had no choice but to end up on the street. And, and, or I had no choice but to do everything I could 
to get myself out of that place and to become successful, what, what that meant for them. And that's really what growing purposefully is understanding that we're our common denominator. I've never heard a story of someone that gained any success in any part of life that didn't go through number one, self-doubt or number two, a difficult failure on the way. It's those people that were able to overcome those failures. And really why I think growing purposefully really helps us get through those times is it really hit me yesterday. I was, I was uh, teaching my 16 year old daughter how to drive. Oh, <laughs> so a lot of <laughs> taking my life in my own hands, but she's got her hands on the wheel, right? And she's just learning and she's looking closely. And you know, when you're just learning how to drive and, and you're looking just barely in front of you and you're going like this, trying to keep it straight. But if you look far ahead and just keep your eye a hundred yards ahead, two hundred yards ahead, you're not making the jerky motions. You're just keeping straight on the line. And really that's what growing purposefully is. If we look into the future and when I coach people, we always talk about what, what's our 10 year goals first and work our way back to today. If we look into the future, that will help our purpose and understand where we're going and where we can get there. And that's really what growing purposefully is about. Okay. So growing purposefully is having a destination in mind that's far enough down the horizon that you're not in this little micromanaging kind of mode that she was in. Because, mm -hmm. boy, I remember those days. Um, yes. <sighs> Everyone survived my helping my children learn how to drive. It, but it left behind some residual, <laughs> some residual energy here. The analogy that you just gave is, is absolutely perfect because you're right. When we're driving, if we're only looking right here instead of looking out there, it's a very different you know, horizon. I've had someone say 10-year horizons, 10-year goals are too far out for the way the world is now. You know, that things are happening and changing too fast and that's not valid. What would you say to that? That's uh, valuable I, to have a 10-year goal. I would say that's akin to me saying, I'm here in Vancouver today. I'm going to start driving to, uh, to Florida. That's a heck of a long drive, but I'm not going to use a map or a GPS. I just hope I'll get there. And <laughs> 10 year horizons are very, very long. And you could, I, I, I see the argument that they could be seen as too long. However, when we set a goal, it doesn't mean it can't evolve over time. If I start driving to Florida and I get to, you know, I get going south and, you know, I, I end up stopping in Texas. I'm like, ah, oh, this is pretty fun here. I'll, there Maybe there's something I can do here. Well, my goal might change, but I'm going somewhere. And part of the action is just that action. Once we start to create action, our 10-year goals, we'd manage them back into 90 days. So if it's my goal to drive to, to Florida and, you know, in this situation, that 90-day goal or that mini goal is to just, okay, for me to get to Seattle and then for me to keep going from there, right? And when I manage those mini goals, then it'll help me get to where I want to be. One of the problems is when we look at big, big goals, we think they're too audacious. But when I say, can you do that in 10 years? People say, yeah, I can do that in 10 years. I can't do it tomorrow. I can do it in 10 years. Oh, yeah. One of my mentors, Imana Guy, says that people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Because in 10 years, starting from scratch, you could have a medical degree and be a doctor. Yeah. So we underestimate what can be done in that timeline. And I hadn't even thought about applying it to this idea of, where, where are you setting your sights? So growing purposefully starts with this. We're going to go there. All right. We got a few minutes. We're going to go there. Where did you find? Where did you find your purpose? Where did your purpose find you? <laughs> well, it, a lot of it just happens um, as we begin to set those goals, right? And I didn't have a purpose at the beginning or a mission, but as I grew and I, and I really, I had a great coach that asked me the questions to help me bring that of myself. I always had that in me. So for example, 
I, you know, I always wanted to dream audaciously, serve generously and grow purposefully, but I didn't know how to do it. And I always thought that I was going to be a, going to be a coach. Initially, I played college football. Initially, I thought it was going to be as a college football coach. Mm-hmm. Um, as we went down the line, I realized that I wasn't called to do that on the football field. And it took me nearly 20 years to grow that out of me to realize that, yes, I was called to coaching, but it was in, it was in, it was in the boardroom. And I just needed to surround myself in the right places and have the right dreams to be around the right people to help bring that out of myself because it was always in me. So just going on the journey of that self-reflection will support one to get there. All right. So your purpose came out of just continuing to go, wait a minute, is this still calling me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it starts with dreaming audaciously. Let's face it, for anyone to say, I'm going to be a coach you know, of a football team, that's a, a good, audacious dream. Yeah. Coaching, and this brings us back to where we started with leadership, because a coach cannot be on the field. So the coach has to develop the leadership of their players because the players are the ones on the field. Yeah, the coach can send in ideas, but the coach can't execute. So leadership, now we've come full circle. You know, this is, this is lovely, Tim. The idea of coaching in the boardroom. I mean, I've got the song now stuck in my head, that tune about smoking in the boys' room. Yeah, <laughs> coaching in the boardroom, yada-da. Yeah, I mean, I can see that about you, that you have that energy of this is where you're meant to be. It's this certainty around you. Is that what growing purposefully gives to people? Is that the side effect of growing purposefully is they come into this place of certainty? You know, in in an answer, yes. However, uh, I know I said (laughs) however before, before, and I'll give you that again. However, you know, I don't know that anyone can have perfect certainty. Like I could come back in two or three years or even shorter and realize that my purpose has just adjusted just a little bit. Like mm-hmm. if I was here two years ago, I would say my purpose is growth through service. And now it's kind of, and now it's evolved. What I do know, the certainty that one would receive is that certainty of knowing we're on the right path to get there. And the path to greatness in whatever that definition is for you. I've never seen it be straight. It's up and down. It's sideways. It's, it's all over, right? So the certainty is knowing that one's on the journey, but that certainty doesn't mean that I'm, that you're certain each and every day, everybody has those little, uh, those little doubts saying, Oh, I should have done this or I screwed this up. But every failure is an opportunity to get closer to that, whatever that version of success you had is right. All right, so now we're going to go into version of success, but we're going to do this sideways. Okay, we actually, we're going to do it backwards because this is what we were talking about earlier, this idea of flipping. What's one thing you could say to someone who struggles with believing that they're good enough to be great? Prove me wrong. Oh, <laughs> I, I went to this amazing seminar. Um, I've done a lot of work in the retail industry and I have a business in retail. And um, there's a gentleman in Toronto named Kevin Graff who does retail leadership coaching. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, Tim, 99% of people that you work with or anyone works with, for example, have a dream to be great and want to be great. It's up to you to show them that. There's only 1% of people that it's their fault. It's you as a leader uh, most of the time. And so I would say to those people, I would say, I'm 99% sure, I'm virtually 100% sure you are going to be great and you have the opportunity to be great. If you don't think that you can, prove me wrong. There we go. And that will set them on to action, a course of action to prove one wrong. And they will show themselves that they were born to be great. So it's not just prove me wrong, here are the action steps. And in, to come back to the example of Rhonda in the car, the action step was to call the dealership, talk to the finance office, 
can I qualify or what do I need to qualify? And ask the questions so that she could prove her hypothesis that there's no way she could qualify. Yeah, prove me wrong. And we love to prove people wrong. So this taps into, you know, not that we love to prove people wrong. The reality is we love to be right. We love to be right. So giving somebody the opportunity to be right around a limiting belief is hysterical because they can't lose. They're either going to prove themselves right or they're going to get what they thought they couldn't have. I love this. That's a perfect win-win. And it has nothing to do with you or me. It has to do with them. So it keeps it very generous and unattached to the outcome because either way they're going to win. I love that setup. All right, Tim, take us home. This has been a lovely journey through dreaming and serving and growing. When it comes to why I invited you to be on the Suicide Prevention Show, it was because anyone who is dreaming and serving and growing is by definition nowhere near the edge. Thank you for reminding people that it could be that simple and that there's power in creating their own mission statement. And yes, we have a gift for everybody, which thank you, Katie, please drop this because Tim, this is very, very generous for you. And this is a ticket to your institute. And I just love it. So all the instructions are in the chat and they'll be in the show notes. So whether you're watching this live or whether you're watching the recording, go to the show notes, get yourself an opportunity to create your action plan. And it will be around all of the things we've been talking about. And Tim, talk about serving generously. That's a very generous gift. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Jackie. So where else? Okay, so serve us leadership, S-E-R-V-U-S leadership.com. Is that where they can find more information as well? Because I know that there's an email address and all of the instructions are in the chat. But for somebody, how did, we got two minutes, Two minutes. All right. Serve us. That's a really cool play on. Uh, is that serve us or is it literally about what your mission statement is all about? Uh, it's a lot about what our mission statements about and serve us is also the Latin word for servant. And as uh-huh. great leaders, we would be there to serve uh, people around us. And there, there's a lot more to that, to that story, but yes, it's a play on words. It's Latin for servant leadership and uh, certainly go on there uh, there is some information on there but just t- get my email get my phone number from there call me text me uh, email me uh, about our next dream leadership institute uh, awakening drill or about uh, setting up a 15 minute uh, one-on-one with me all right cannot ask for any more generosity than that from you Ted. that is awesome thank you very much for being part of the show Jackie, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for uh, everything you're doing uh, on this very important topic.